For those of you who haven't already taken membership of the Prince YouTube channel, I have an appeal. Membership costs just 159 rupees per month. Click on the join button to enjoy exclusive member benefits, which include loyalty badges, priority responses, and member-only videos. We're now also extending newsletters to all our YouTube members. I request you to write to us with your full name and email address at members at theprint.in. That's members at theprint.in and we'll get back to you. Five brigades of the Indian army encircling his country's garrison at Dhaka, Foreign Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto dramatically tore up his notes and stormed out of the United Nations Security Council. Legalize aggression, legalize occupation. I will not be a party to it, Zulfikar thundered. I will not be a party to the ignominious surrender of part of my country. You can take your security council. I am going. I'd rather go back to a destroyed Pakistan. We will fight, he concluded. Then, Pakistan's soon-to-be prime minister retreated to the commodious environs of the Pierre Hotel on the fringes of New York's Central Park. The country's forces, as you all know, surrendered. Later, Zulfikar told an interviewer he had received a call from his teenage daughter, then a student at Harvard. I didn't storm out, he told Benazir Bhutto, who of course also went on to lead Pakistan. I walked out. It was too much of a farce. Lesser politicians might have been reduced by military defeat like this to being just court clowns. The two wars against India Zulfikar helped precipitate together with years of patient collaboration with military rulers, ended up paving the way for him to become Prime Minister. 51 years after his performance at the Security Council, Foreign Minister Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, grandson to Zulfikar and Benazir's son, is showing he's an able heir to the family patriarch. Even though Bilawal's speech accusing Prime Minister Narendra Modi of being the butcher of Gujarat, seemed aimed across the border, the real target was at home. Former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif, whose Pakistan Muslim League rules the country in alliance with Bhutto Zardari's Pakistan People Party, cultivated very close ties with Modi, seeing in it the prospect of reviving the detente which had been undermined during the Kargil War. Famously, Nawaz appeared at a family wedding in a pagdi gifted by the Indian leader, signaling close personal ties. As he stored frontline positions, new army chief General Sayyid Asim Munir has heard loud support for ousted Prime Minister Imran Khan among junior officers, Indian intelligence officials say. Though General Munir has made clear he will not countenance the return of Imran, a message that's been underlined in recent days by the release of sex tapes purportedly involving the former Prime Minister on social media, he also knows Prime Minister Shahbaz Sharif's government is flailing amid an ever-deepening financial crisis. Effecting the removal of Shahbaz would be no problem for the generals, but there's a risk that it would lead to the return of Nawaz and his daughter Maryam Nawaz Sharif to center stage. Nawaz was eased out of office because of his confrontation with the army over security policies and the relationship with India. The army hasn't forgiven Nawaz's efforts to imprison former army chief General Parvez Musharraf either. That means a new contender may soon be needed to lead the country. 
and Bilawal, like his grandfather, is positioning himself as the man the military needs. Even as Indian army soldiers moved to within kilometers of Lahore, Zulfikar had delivered another heroic address to the Security Council. We will wage a war of a thousand years, the foreign minister declared in September 1965. The hundred million people of Pakistan shall face extermination rather than forsake their principles. The speech biographer Stanley Wolpert recorded electrified Pakistanis, I quote, who knew they had lost the war, but whose dream of victory was being kept alive by the words carried by wireless radio. Zulfikar has been reinvented as a pro-democracy radical. The politician's role in bringing about the wars of 1965 and 1971 is often ignored though, as is the political payoff he got from it. The coup d'etat of 1958, which extinguished hopes of Pakistan evolving into a liberal democracy, received Zulfikar's approval. Leaders like East Pakistan politician Hussein Surawardi, Prime Minister in 1956-1957, had played havoc and run amok with the destinies of the people, Zulfikar argued. The political chaos, he said, meant the revolution had to come to try and put the state of affairs in order. Elevating himself to Field Marshal, a five-star honorary rank on Zulfikar's advice, General Ayub instituted a system of so-called basic democracy, which basically restricted the franchise to just 80,000 pro-military citizens. Zulfikar served as the minister in charge of this policy's implementation and defended the regime's most authoritarian actions. The incarceration of top politicians, including Surawardi, sparked riots in East Pakistan, eventually laying the foundations for the Bangladesh movement. But Zulfikar defended the army's actions. Zulfikar also played a key role in persuading the field marshal to go to war in Kashmir in 1965, using covert troops. Zulfikar promised that India would not retaliate in the plains with conventional forces. The success of the current movement in Kashmir, he urged, will be a decisive factor in the history of Pakistan. We must go all out to incite the Nagas and the Lushais in Assam and the Sikhs in Punjab, Zulfikar added. This kind of ultra-nationalist argument pandered to Ayub's own prejudices. In instructions to his army chief, General Muhammad Musa, the field marshal claimed that, I quote, as a general rule, Hindu morale would not stand more than a couple of hard blows delivered at the right time and place. Fears raised by the army chief about the soundness of the 1965 war plan were simply brushed aside. When the military campaign became unstuck, Zulfikar insisted India's successful counter-offensive, I quote, cannot be explained except in the light of positive United States complicity. It is imperative, he argued in a top-secret memo, in the present circumstances to issue a denunciation of the United States, complicity with India. Well, this was fantasy. Your cousin is a madman, Ayub Khan later warned Mumtaz Bhutto. Don't follow him. But this wisdom had dawned too late. The field marshal's protégé was plotting a coup of his own. Late in the summer of 1966, Zulfikar was pushed out of office and later imprisoned. I was confined in an old cell full of rats and mosquitoes. He would complain. And the charpai, your bed, was tied to a chain. Zulfikar's suffering, though, 
made him a hero to a people increasingly frustrated with Ayub's rule. Empowered by nationalist rhetoric charging Ayub with treachery, Zulfikar fought the elections of 1970 dressed, I'm not making this up, in a Mao cap and a green jacket. Socialism and Islam were weaponized into a new messianic ideology to save Pakistan's working people. Facing criticism from conservative clerics, Zulfikar vowed, We shall wage a jihad for the cause of Islam, not only in Pakistan, but anywhere in the world if required. If Muslim blood is being mercilessly shed in India, you cannot just wring your hands. The field marshal had been swept aside in a palace coup the previous year to be replaced by General Yahya Khan. The new military ruler promised free elections. I'm anxious to get the country back upon the rails of democracy, General Raya said in one meeting. I am myself frightened by my own blind power. Free elections, however, meant numerically more populous East Pakistan would hold political power. And sure enough, in 1970, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman's Awami League won 160 seats to Zulfikar's 81. Zulfikar, however, now refused to concede power and pushed for a federal arrangement which would make him Prime Minister of West Pakistan. The general, to his credit, resisted, noting that the argument being used by Zulfikar would enable each province in the West to also push for its own Prime Minister. Zulfikar, however, stoked the general's fears of secessionism in East Pakistan and used it to deny Mujib power. Even as violent protests in East Pakistan mounted and war with India loomed, Zulfikar was made Deputy Prime Minister. He served under the anti-Mujib leader Nurul Amin. For 13 days, Zulfikar returned to a job, again under a military government. But this time, his tenure would end in the collapse of Pakistan itself. Following the fall of Dhaka, Zulfikar again positioned himself as a messiah. I am taller than the Himalayas, he thundered in one speech. Give me time. The defeat by India was widely attributed to General Yahya's womanizing and drinking. Zulfikar's own less than edifying behaviors, among them a highly public affair with the Dhaka lawyer Husna Sheikh, were pretty much ignored. Lewd comments Zulfikar made to women, one of them, according to Stanley Wolpert, Rita Dar, the daughter of Vijay Lakshmi Pandit, remained unknown to the public. Fed up with the army, the politician had positioned himself as the guardian of Pakistan's security. Zulfikar's hubris. He used to parade General Zia in front of foreign visitors, describing him as my monkey, had the inevitable outcome. As the economy began to splutter, Zulfikar was led to the gallows by his monkey. Like his grandfather, Bilawal is betting on nationalism and the generals to secure his next step up the political ladder. The strategy will, however, ensure the army continues to hold a grip over Pakistan's political life. More important, it will blight the relationship with India and expose Pakistan to potentially catastrophic outcomes. I'm Praveen Swami and I'm National Security Editor of The Print. Thank you for listening to Security Code.